Countdown for blast off. X minus one. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. Richard Diamond, private detective. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Suspense. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Dragnet. We offer you escape. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. The Jack Benny Program. Hi, this is Carl Amari, and welcome to episode 44 of Radio Rarities, the weekly podcast series that examines unique episodes from the golden age of radio. My co-host is the vivacious Lisa Wolf. This time we have an audition of a hilarious sitcom. It's The Bickersons, starring Donna Michi and Francis Langford. The Bickersons inspired The Honeymooners, Married with Children, and other television shows about couples who fought but truly loved each other. Amici and Langford portrayed John and Blanche Bickerson, a husband and wife who spent nearly all of their time together in relentless verbal warfare. The battling Bickersons, as they would come to be known, were heard in short sketches for a couple of years on various shows and were now preparing for their own show. This was a big step for Phil Rapp, who had created the characters which debuted on The Dream Show in 1946. Rapp was one of the best comedy writers in the business. During the 1930s, he crafted material for Eddie Cantor's radio show and for such films as Cantor's Strike Me Pink and start cheering for Jimmy Durante. Rap, who was instrumental in creating the Baby Snooks character for Fanny Bryce, also wrote for stage plays including Spring in Brazil, which starred Milton Berle. In developing the Bickersons for radio, Rap couldn't have chosen a better pair to interpret the roles of John and Blanche than Don Amici and Francis Langford. Amici was a seasoned veteran in the entertainment industry. In 1929, he appeared in the Broadway play Jerry for Short, and then joined a touring company, finally making his way to Chicago. Where he entered radio by starring in such prestigious shows as Empire Builders and The First Nighter. Moving to Hollywood, he also had a distinguished motion picture career with leading roles in several 20th Century Fox films, including the story of Alexander Graham Bell in 1939 and Heaven Can Wait in 1943. Frances Langford had been discovered by Rudy Valley. Her appearances on his show as a vocalist led to opportunities in radio on other shows, including Hollywood Hotel and Texaco Star Theater. She achieved major notoriety, performing on Bob Hope's radio program and accompanying him with his globe-trotting tours entertaining the troops during World War II. What is noteworthy about both Amici and Langford, Carl, is that neither had previously engaged in the type of comedy proposed by Phil Rapp. The Bickersons were initially brought to radio as the result of a shakeup on the Dream Show during the fall of 1946. This NBC series was sponsored by Procter & Gamble, promoting its Dream Shampoo brand. Ever use it on your delicate hair? No, Carl, I only use Wild Root Cream Oil. The Dream Show was a 30-minute variety program which hit the airwaves September 8, 1946, featuring singer Janelle James and comedian Pinky Lee with scripts written by Hal Cantor. Don Amici was the master of ceremonies. Despite the talent on the show, its ratings declined, and after 13 weeks, only Amici and producer Carlton Alsop were retained. The Dream Show returned to the air December 15, 1946, 
projects under the revamped title Dreamtime, with Francis Langford and Danny Thomas joining the cast. Thomas had started his career on radio stations in Detroit during the 1930s and would later appear in network programs such as Post Toasty's Time with Fanny Bryce. He would later become a household name, not only for his work in television, including Make Room for Daddy, later known as The Danny Thomas Show. And as the father of actress Marlo Thomas, star of the iconic 1960s sitcom That Girl, and TV producer Tony Thomas. But Danny Thomas was revered for his philanthropy in establishing St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee, one of the foremost pediatric cancer treatment facilities in the world. The first portion of each Dreamtime episode featured songs by Francis Langford with the Bickerson sketch filling the latter half. In these frolics, Danny Thomas played Blanche's brother Amos, which was the actor's real first name. The Bickersons were the highlight of Dreamtime, but were on the program for only a year. In the fall of 1947, the sparring duo would be heard on the Old Gold Show, which was sponsored by cigarette manufacturer the Lorillard Tobacco Company, makers of Old Gold Cigarettes. Once again, the Bickersons occupied the second half of the program. Comedian Frank Morgan entertained during the opening stand. The Amici Langford team was well received on the old gold show, with critic John Crosby rejoicing. I think the Bickersons are very funny in a medium which strives so desperately to spread sweetness and light, in which every wife is an angel of tolerant understanding and every husband dumb but lovable, the fighting Bickersons are a very refreshing venture in the opposite direction. As successful as they were on this program, they were only booked for the 1947-48 to season. For the fall of 1948, they were a late surprise addition to the Charlie McCarthy show. Edgar Bergen signed them to fill the previously occupied guest slot for each broadcast. Due to previous commitments, Francis Langford was not available, so Marsha Hunt was cast to fill the role of Blanche. Though the ratings were acceptable, the program encountered budgetary problems and was off the air following the December 26th broadcast. Money was not the only issue. Phil Rapp was not pleased with Marsha Hunt's performances as Blanche and sought her replacement. Rapp desired to reunite Francis Langford with Donna Michi. The couple did perform, as the Bickersons, on the two-hour Elgin Thanksgiving Day extravaganza, which aired November 25, 1948. And in an ongoing effort to have them star in a full half-hour weekly series of their own, a few weeks later, Rap produced a Bickersons pilot. Okay, sit back, relax, and enjoy Donna Michi and Francis Langford as John and Blanche Bickerson in an audition of the Bickersons, as originally recorded in Hollywood December 13, 1948. Good evening. This is Marvin Miller. Several seasons ago, radio listeners were mildly startled by the introduction of one of the most unconventional married couples in microphone history. I use the word unconventional advisedly, considering the pro and con discussions which arose following their first broadcast. My own personal opinion is that this couple is no more out of the ordinary than my wife and myself. Or for that matter, if you'll permit me the liberty, you and your wife. The unconventional couple I'm referring to, of course, is the Bickersons. Tonight, for the first time, we present them in their own half-hour program, an unretouched picture of domesticity. Now, here are Donna Michi and Francis Langford as John and Blanche Bickerson in The Honeymoon is Over.
As the minute hand of the clock gradually approaches 7 a.m., John and Blanche Vickerson are in their breakfast room, which is also the living room and bedroom of their spacious one-room apartment. Mrs. Vickerson chatters as husband John, ignoring his breakfast, attentively reads the morning paper. Well, why don't you answer me, John? Hmm? If you take your head out of that paper for a minute, you can hear what I'm saying. You always hear what you're saying. You do not. Might as just as well be talking to a stone wall. You never listen to me. Your mind is always a million miles away. Hmm. John. Hmm. I've been signed up to go ten rounds with Joe Lewis at Madison Square Garden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yesterday, the plumber discovered a radium mine under the bathroom sink. Hmm. I put a nice big gob of poison in your orange juice this morning. Mm-hmm. Give me seven dollars to buy a new hat. You don't need a new hat. Funny thing, but the minute I start talking about money, you can hear me fine. I always hear you, Blanche. What'd you say? I asked you why you came home so late last night. I was working, Blanche. I told you I had to work overtime. Pour me some more coffee. That's tea. Did you get paid? I'll get paid. What time did you get home? 12.30. If you got home at 12.30, why were you so late coming to bed? I know for a fact you didn't go to bed until almost 2. I was in the kitchen putting the stuff away. What stuff? What's the matter, Blanche? You know you told me to bring stuff home for the party this afternoon. Your sister Clara's arriving from Chicago today and you told me to bring stuff. Well, I brought stuff. Did you bring potatoes for the potato salad? I brought potatoes. Did you pair them? I paired them. All of them? All except one. It had a big knob on top and I couldn't find a mate for it. I know what you meant, Blanche. I peeled the potatoes and I even boiled them last night. They're in the icebox. Holy smoke, look at the time. Where's my hat? You're wearing it. What about your breakfast? What about it? It's sitting there right in front of you and you never even looked at it. I looked at it. Well, aren't you going to eat it? No, give it to your sister. What's the matter with it? Never saw such stringy oatmeal in all my life. It's not oatmeal. It's chow mein. <laughs> chow mein? Who eats chow mein for breakfast? Well, I don't know what to give you. You won't eat normal breakfast food. You turn up your nose at stewed rabbit. You say you can't stand the sight of enchiladas. And you hate meatballs and spaghetti. What can I give you for breakfast? What's the matter with an egg, Blanche? An egg, that's all. Why can't I have an egg? There's plenty of ducks around. You're the only man in town who eats duck eggs. I don't know where to buy them. Well, don't buy them. I don't like to eat breakfast. Never have an appetite in the morning anyway. I gotta go, Blanche. It's late. Here's a clean handkerchief. John, can't you take the afternoon off? What for? Well, I think it's only proper for you to be here when Clara and Barney and the children arrive. We're the only relatives they've got, and you've never seen them. I'll see them tonight. Can't you come home a little earlier? I'm sure they won't miss you if you take a few hours off. You're not that vital. I know it, but I don't want them to find it out. <laughs> Our job is hanging by a thread now. We should find something more dignified anyway. What do you mean, dignified? I'm getting paid, and that's all I care about. But I don't like to go around telling people that I'm married to a billiard ball salesman. Bowling balls. All right, bowling balls. <laughs> I still think you can do better if you look around. Goodbye, Blanche. John! What's the matter? That's a fine way to leave. Haven't you forgotten something? Handkerchief, cigarettes, my order blank, samples. No, no, I, I got everything. I mean, is that the way to say goodbye to his wife? Just goodbye? Oh, honey, I can't shake hands with you now. <laughs> I've got my fingers stuck in these bowling balls. Oh, goodbye. 
Did you like the chicken, Barney? Too much salt in it. Oh. Let me take those bones off your plate. How about some more potato salad, Barney? Too many potatoes in it. Isn't it awful to be married to a man like that, Blanche? He won't eat potato salad with potatoes in it. I have to fool him and make it with turnips. Oh, for heaven's sake, Clara. Well, it's certainly good to see you after all these years. Did you have a good trip? Lousy. <laughs> Barney, how can you say that? It was a wonderful trip, and the children loved it. Four of us in an upper berth. Oh, it wasn't bad at all, Blanche. Honest. None of us are big people, and little Ernie slept in the clothes hammock. Two-year-old kid, and she lets him wander all over the train by himself. Well, I couldn't take care of everything, Barney. When the train stopped at Albuquerque, the kid locked himself in the washroom. I wouldn't come out. The conductor was pounding on the window, but that was locked, too. Well, what happened to him? Well, we found him later, later walking around under the train. <laughs> can't figure out how he got there. Did little George behave himself on the trip? Like an angel. He can be an awful good boy when he wants to. He seemed rather pleased to get off at Pasadena and visit with Barney's sister, didn't he, Barney? No. Well, your sister seemed pleased. They should be here pretty soon. How long does it take to get here from Pasadena, Blanche? By train? Yes. Well, John works there. It never takes him over 45 minutes. I thought George was going to stay in Pasadena for a while. Well, I thought so, too. But after Eunice took a look at him, she said she'd bring him back this evening. Uh, which one of you two is older? What? Oh, stop it, Barney. He wants to know everybody's age. Well, Clara's my older sister. Didn't you know that, Barney? No, I didn't know that. You look way older than Clara. <laughs> really? That's just his left-handed way of paying me compliments, Blanche. Barney, why don't you go back to the apartment and see if Ernie's still sleeping? I'll stay here and wait for George. Okay. I'd better take a little nap myself. I might have to look for a job next week. Uh, what's the number of that apartment house? 214. The first apartment on the left. Go ahead. Okay. I'll take them chicken bones for Ernie. He's teething. <laughs> you know, Clara, I'd completely forgotten what Barney was like. He's awful little for a husband, isn't he? Well, he may be small, but he's wiry. Sort of outspoken, isn't he? I'd rather have a man be frank about things than say one thing and mean another. Is John still as short-tempered as ever? Well, he's... Barney used to be that way before the children came. They changed everything. We haven't had a crossword since George was born. Is that so? You'd be surprised what a change would come over John if there was a child in the house. I know. A lot of people have told me that, Clara. Blanche, uh, I was just thinking... That apartment you got for us is rather small for four people. Well, it's the best I could do, Clara, and it's only temporary. Oh, I know, dear, but I... I was just thinking, why don't you let little George live with you for a while? George? We'd be killing two birds with one stone. Our apartment will be less crowded, and there'll be a big change in your married life. Maybe you're right, Clara. I'll call John at the office and tell him we're going to have a baby. <laughs> Acme Bowling Alley Equipment Company. Could I talk to Mr. Bickerson, please? Not in. He hasn't come off his route yet. W will you please leave word for him to call his wife as soon as he gets there? Okay. Thank you. Goodbye. Oh, for the love of Pete! Look out where you dropped those samples, Bickerson. Oh, I couldn't carry him another minute. 
Why doesn't that cheap buzzard buy us cases for the darn things? My fingers look like a bunch of bananas. <laughs> Call your wife. She just called here. Yeah. Do any good today? Ah, waste of shoe leather. I can't understand it. Here it is, the height of the Christmas season, and nobody is buying bowling balls. <laughs> Nothing doing, huh? No. Where is he? He went home early. Been murder here today. Ah, the old man don't bother me. He just lets off steam. His bark is worse than his bite. Well, he bit a few salesmen today. <laughs> so what? They come and they go. I've been here 12 years. Uh-huh. Business has been bad before. Last year, he lined up 10 salesmen, took an 18-pound two-holer, and chalked up a spare. <laughs> I was the only salesman left standing. You were, huh? Yeah, I was. He knows a good thing when he sees one. Uh-huh. Uh, here's your pay envelope, Bickerson. Pay envelope? Today isn't payday. It is for you. You're kidding. No, I'm not. You got the axe. Holy smoke. Oh, don't take it so hard. I'll probably be next. Oh, I don't care for myself. It's what my wife is going to say. She'll blow her cork. What for? It's only a job. Oh, you don't understand. She's got her relatives here from Chicago. She's already figured on a Christmas shopping. I haven't got 50 cents in the bank. Well, I wish I could help you, Bickerson, but... Tell you, I'm afraid to go home and face her. Do me a favor, will you, Marv? Sure. What do you want me to do? Call up my wife and tell her. You want me to tell her you were fired? Yeah, but break the news very gently. First tell her I dropped dead and then gradually work up to it. Oh! Uh, let me have the paper, will you, son? Quick, quick. Here, here you are. <clears throat> uh, excuse me, will you? Uh, pardon me. I'm sorry. Uh... Is this seat taken, Sonny? Sonny, is this seat taken? No. Would you mind taking your feet off? Okay. Those packages, too. Huh? Will you please take those packages off the seat? Just throw them on the floor. Okay. Wise little monkey. Uh, where's that help-wanted page? Huh? Nothing. See, accountant, artist, automobile salesman, baker, barber, bartender, bookkeeper. Bartender. Bartender. What'll you have? You mind your own business. <laughs> Excuse me. You're sitting in my seat. Huh? Oh. Oh, I'm sorry, madam. Uh, your son told me it wasn't taken. He's not my son. And I didn't tell him it wasn't taken either. What? I told him somebody was sitting here and he knocked all your packages on the floor. You told me this seat wasn't taken, and you told me to throw the packages on the floor. I did not. You did, too. Oh, you ought to be ashamed of yourself trying to blame that little child. You can have my seat, madam. I'm going into the smoking car. Thank you. I I I'm sorry. Really, I am. Uh, let me pick up those packages for you. Never mind. I'll get them myself. The very idea. Oh! Who did that? He did it. I seen him pinch you. Pinch who? <laughs> What's the matter with you, you little muzzler? You just wait until the conductor comes by here. Sit down here, dear. I didn't like his looks from the minute he got off. Oh, I know the type. My husband's a correction officer. What'd you do that for? Huh? Why'd you tell that lady I pinched her? And why'd you tell me this seat wasn't taken? What did you tell me all those lies for? Give me my bubble gum. 
What bubble gum? I haven't got your bubble gum. You have to. It's stuck to your pants. <laughs> Look at that. How am I going to get that off? Give me my bubble gum. Keep quiet till I get my knife out. I want my bubble gum. Stop pulling at my pants. <laughs> That's just fine. I want my bubble gum. Why don't you give the child his bubble gum? He ripped my trousers. Whoa, he pulled a knife on me. Shut up, you little weasel. <laughs> Should have stabbed a little brat at that. Kids. No wonder tigers eat their young. John, what happened to you? Your pants are torn. You're covered with dust. Where have you been? I've been calling the office for hours. I got put off the train and I walked all the way home from Glendale. Well, what happened? I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to even think about it. All I want to do is go to bed. Oh, you poor dear. And I have such a wonderful surprise for you. Surprise? Yes, we're going to be the happiest couple in the world. And all because of my sister Clara. What are you talking about? George, come out and meet your new daddy. Well, what do you think of him, John? Oh, no. Go on, Sonny. Kiss him. Not me. That's the crook who stole my bubble gum. <laughs> You're listening to Radio Rarities. We'll return after this short break. If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Lone Ranger, Sam Spade, Burns and Allen, Have Gun, Will Travel, Gangbusters, and Sherlock Holmes, become a member of the Classic Radio Club. Each month, you'll receive 10 half-hour classic radio shows along with historical liner notes. The 10 shows will be on five CDs or via digital download, whichever you prefer. You'll also receive an email every week with a digital link to the full five-hour Hollywood 360 radio show and the 30-minute Radio Rarities podcast that Carl Amari and I co 
co-host. In total, you'll receive 34 classic radio shows per month. Become a Classic Radio Club member at ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535 to speak to a live operator. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535. That's 815-900-7535. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-494-8310. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-494-8310. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-494-8310. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Now, back to Radio Rarities. The Bickersons have retired. Blanche Bickerson tosses restlessly in the dark as poor husband John, unstrung by the events of the day and suffering an attack of undulant insomnia or blasters phenomenon, engages in another losing battle with a dread ailment. Listen. who'd sacrifice her youth and her looks to live with a man who rattles himself to sleep like a, a lot of old bones in a bag. What do you think I am, John? Old bag. What? What'd you say, Blanche? I've never been so upset in all my life. Why couldn't the child live with us for a few weeks? What child? George. Don't mention his name. Well, you had no right to send him back to Clara. Clara and Barney are just sick about it. I can well imagine. <laughs> Let me sleep, Blanche. I had him here for two hours before you got home, and he was a perfect angel. Mm. What if he did make a little trouble on the train? He's, He's a boy, and all boys are kind of wild. Anyway, <clears throat> how did he know that you were his uncle? What kind of an excuse is that? Well, I'm sure if you just try to understand him, there wouldn't be any problem at all. That's what you think. I don't think I know. I don't think you know either. <laughs> Ed's gone. I'll forget about him. I won't forget about him. And you needn't have made such an exhibition when you hauled him down the street to his mother. Oh. That was no way to carry a boy, John. Well, I used to be a bowling ball salesman. (laughs) Almost got my finger bit off. What do you mean, you used to be? Uh, didn't he tell you? Didn't, uh, 
Did Marvin call you from the office? Nobody called me from the office. What happened? I got fired. Oh, John, what did he do that for? I didn't do it. The boss did it. Well, he must have had a pretty good reason. I felt this coming for a long time, John. You haven't had your mind on your work. Business was bad. How can you say that? Prices are going up every day. Well, nobody's buying. That's not true. I'm buying twice as much as I ever did. Business isn't bad with me. Good night, Blanche. No. If you didn't do any business, it's because you weren't concentrating on your work. You've just lost your ambition. You're not the man I married, John. Whatever happened to your get up and go? It got up and went. <laughs> I'll tell you what happened. You've lost interest in everything except that precious bourbon of yours. Now, just a minute, Blanche. I married a great big corkscrew. I resent that. I don't care. You can accuse me of not being a good salesman or not having ambition or anything else. But drinking is not one of my failures. No, it's one of your few successes. <laughs> the only reason I use bourbon is because the doctor prescribed it. He said I'd stop snoring if I took a jigger of bourbon and two aspirins every night. That's not what you do, though. Yes, it is. It is not. You're six months behind on the aspirin and two years ahead on the bourbon. <laughs> well, aspirin gives me a headache. Bourbon has nothing to do with me losing my job. Then why did you get fired? Because no man can serve two masters. That's right. Blame me. Since when do I boss you around? You know very well I let you have your own way in almost everything I want. You've been running me for years. I have not. It started right at the altar. When I said I do, you said, oh, no, you don't. How can you lie there and deliberately make oh, up well, such Oh, well, don't rile me up. You just sympathize with me when I get a bad break instead of hounding me, our marriage would work a lot better. Matrimony is a serious thing. You're a fine one to talk about matrimony. You don't even know the meaning of the word. It's not a word, it's a sentence. <laughs> oh, you poor thing, how you suffer. I didn't get such a bargain, you know. There's better fish in the ocean than the one I caught. There's better bait, too. <laughs> and it's true. You don't love me and you never did. Oh, I did, too. What? I mean, I do, too. You don't, you don't, you don't. Blanche, I do. Well, you never say it. I say it a thousand times a day. Well, say it now. I love you. Will you love me as long as you live? Yes. Swear. Swear you love me as long as you live. Cross my heart and hope to die. <laughs> that has a double meaning. Well, I only meant it one way. It's really an effort for you to show any kind of affection for me, isn't it, John? Why are you so ashamed to tell me you love me? I'm not ashamed, Blanche. I just can't seem to convince you. That's all. You know I love you so. So what? That's what I say. Who cares? <laughs> Put out the lights and go to sleep. If only you'd let me know that you appreciate what I do for you. Oh, you don't do so much for me. Is that so? Who cooks for you? I do. Who cleans for you? I do. Who does your laundry? The laundry. <laughs> Only once, and that's because the washing machine was broken. If it wasn't for me, you wouldn't have a clean shirt. I haven't got a clean shirt. You have to. I dusted one off today. <laughs> dusted it off is right, and you press the collar with a curling iron. Besides, I wore it today. Today? What happened to the shirt you wore Tuesday? I wore it Wednesday. And I was going to wear it again Saturday, but I spilled some gravy on it Friday, so I cut the stain out and made a brown collar for my Sunday shirt. Oh, stop complaining. You've got two lovely shirts. One shirt, and it's not lovely. It hasn't even got a shirt tail. 
You don't need a shirt tail. Just wear your pants higher. I can't wear them any higher. I wear my pants so high now I have to unzip them to blow my nose. Gloria Goosebeam. Now, don't start with Gloria Goosebeam. Believe me, if you were around her for a little while, you'd cool off in a hurry. I've been around her for hours, and I never cool off. <laughs> I mean, I despise Gloria Goosebeam, and I wouldn't have anything to do with her. And why does she keep staring at you like she's hypnotized? She doesn't stare. Just that she wears those outlandish dresses, and they bring out her eyes. <laughs> they bring out yours, too. <laughs> No wonder all you men gawk at her. All her gowns are strapless and backless. Would you like me to dress like that? Mm. Maybe I should. Wonder how I'd look in a gown that's strapless and backless. Skinless and boneless. <laughs> I'll never forgive you for that remark, John Biggerson. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so tired. I don't know what I'm saying. Why don't you let me sleep, Blanche? Blanche, where are you going? I'm leaving this house and I'm never coming back. Blanche, wait a minute. Come back here. What's the matter with you? It's no use, John. We'll keep on fighting like this. I tried to make our lives more pleasant by bringing little George here, but you wouldn't have him. All right. I'll go get him in the morning. You say it, but you won't do it. <laughs> do it now. What? Go on, get up and bring George back. Blanche, are you out of your mind? It's four o'clock in the morning. Either you bring George back or I'm leaving. Nobody'd believe this. Where's my clothes? Just throw my kimono over your pajamas. They only live down the street, 214, the first apartment on the left. I know I'll wake up and find this is all a bad dream. Go on, take a flashlight so you don't have to turn any lights on. I'll phone Claire and tell her you're coming. Two fourteen. Where is two fourteen? Should put some street lights in this crummy neighborhood. Broken down flashlight is no good. Batteries must be dead. Can't see your hand in front of your face. Looking for something? Huh? Oh, hello, officer. Uh, shine that light around a little bit. I'm looking for number 214. Live there? No. No, just looking. Why? Not everybody walks around at 3 o'clock in the morning wearing a pink kimono and carrying a bottle of bourbon. <laughs> bottle of bourbon? No wonder it wouldn't light her. <laughs> Dear heaven, I almost threw it away. What's that? I picked it up by mistake. I thought it was a flashlight. Well, it's not a total loss. Will you join me, officer? Uh, no thanks. I'm off duty. 214. <laughs> 214's right on the corner. And you'd better keep moving so you don't catch cold. Yeah, yeah, I'd better wrap this bourbon around me a little tighter. <laughs> First apartment on the left. Hope I don't wake anybody up. Wish I could put on the light. Where is the little deer? Here he is, sleeping like an innocent newborn vulture. Well, here goes. 
This kid is heavier than I thought. Only another ten yards. Pick up a friend. Oh. <laughs> Was that you, officer? Yes, it's me. Uh, may I ask what you have in the bundle? It's my nephew. I'm bringing him home to my wife. It's a long story, officer, but I assure you, this is nothing anybody would want to steal. Mm-hmm. Well, you better watch how you got those blankets wrapped around his head. He's liable to smother. You think so? <laughs> Thanks, officer. Good night. Blanche, open up, will you? What'd you lock it for? He weighs a ton. Put on the lights. No, it'll wake him. Keep your voice down. What'll I do with him? I've got the cot already in the kitchen. Put him down gently, John. There. There's your new son. You've just become a mother. Are you satisfied? Shh. Go on into your own bed. Now I can sleep. Oh, what a day. Lost my job. Got thrown off a train. I delivered children at 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. Oh, John, must you start snoring as soon as you close your eyes? Snoring? Who's snoring? I'm not snoring. It's that darn kid. That's who it is. George? Yeah, George. Go turn him over on his side. Well, I never. Turn over, George, dear. John! What's the matter? This isn't George. You brought back Barney. Why was I ever born? Carl, the insults and sparring in that episode were hilarious. And you can just picture announcer Marvin Miller smiling through it all. Miller would later be familiar to television viewers as the millionaire's presenter and executive secretary, Michael Anthony. Ken Christie was the police officer. Playing an officer of the law on a radio comedy was familiar to him. Christie played police chief Charlie Gates for many years on The Great Gildersleeve. The studio audience sure loved this audition, Carl. Unfortunately, it did not sell, but Phil Rapp had other plans for his creation. In the fall of 1950, the Bickersons could be seen on television as part of the Dumont Network show Star Time. This was an hour-long variety series which featured the Benny Goodman Jazz Sextet. However, Don Amici was not available for this series, and comedian Lou Parker was cast as the beleaguered husband John Bickerson. Parker would later appear on That Girl as Anne Marie's harried, slightly overbearing father, Lou Marie. Star Time was on television for five months and then not renewed. During the summer of 1951, Phil Rapp finally succeeded in getting the Bickersons on radio in their own program, which debuted over CBS on June 5th as a summer replacement for Truth or Consequences. Francis Langford got top billing and also opened each episode with a song as requested by G.I.s. Lou Parker continued his role as John. All parties involved with the show, including its sponsor, the Philip Morris Tobacco Company, were pleased with the results, which earned top 10 ratings. However, Francis Langford was seeking 
opportunities elsewhere, including a television show which required her to be in New York. This resulted in the series closing after only 13 weeks on the air. Phil Rapp would soon be involved in successful TV shows, including Topper, starring Leo G. Carroll, and The Adventures of Hiram Holiday, starring Wally Cox. Throughout the 1950s and 60s, the Bickersons appeared on the radio series Monitor and in several radio and television commercials. And Rapp reunited Donna Michi and Francis Langford as the Bickersons in the 1960s for a very successful series of L. Records on the Columbia label that have sold more than 30 million copies. Well, that's all the time we have for this edition of Radio Rarities. Radio Rarities is a Gulfstream Studios copyrighted production produced by yours truly, Carl Amari. My co host is Lisa Wolf. Mike Costella is our executive producer, and the show is written by Carl Shadow. Next week, we'll present the first episode of the Louis G. Cohen syndicated thriller series. Murder at Midnight from 1946. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening. Hey everybody, Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.